This, this past week, uh, I've really been struck by the, I don't need these yet, <clears throat> much better, <laughs> by the juxtaposition of life. You know, on one hand, there's been babies being born. Who put that up there? <laughs> the Bylers and the Holtz have, uh, have been in love this week and really excited about our new baby, uh, granddaughter, Cadence. And uh, sorry, you, you should have thought that I was going to say something about her. I'm trying to figure out how to fit it in the message, but that was a good way. But you know, not only has there been babies being born, but this week has struck me because on one hand, there's people coming in this world. On the other hand, there's people leaving this world. And just in the last couple weeks, um, there's been four people that I've known that have, that have left this earth. And uh, it's just been, as I think those two extremes, it just, just hit me. I think of, uh, on one hand, a mother who found out that she's going to get that job and is going to be able to have the funds she needs to take care of her family. And on the other hand, this week, I was at Hershey Medical Center with a mother who found out her 16-year-old was diagnosed with leukemia. On one hand, there's college students graduated and ready for the world. But yet I know of a college student who, before graduation, overdosed and ended up in the hospital. On one hand, I see Facebook that somebody got married, and what an exciting day it was for them. But while driving home, I pass an Amish funeral procession. And it just, it just struck me, maybe more so this week in the past, of, of <clears throat> the life that we have to live where there's so many blessings and so many trials, and they're all mingling in together. And that's certainly part of the journey of life that we have to learn how to navigate through. It's easy when it's blessings. I got to admit, and if you follow me on Facebook, you know this, it's been a little easier week for me. Nothing else seemed to matter this week with the new granddaughter. And when things are going well, it's easy to count our blessings. It's easy to trust. It's easy to have faith and hope. But what do you do when things are not going so well? We're in a series called Anchor Point, and it's the idea is that when you are going through those trials and the crisis and and, and, and the, you know, the, the sea of life is just crashing in on you or the waves are just overpowering you, we need something to hold on to. And certainly what it is is the study of the book of First Peter. Peter writing to the early church who had gone through some persecution, had been scattered. That created certainly uncertainty for them relationally. Perhaps some of them were, were taken away from relatives. Maybe some of them had relatives walk away from them. It certainly had implications of them economically, all the hardships that they were going through, and, and the uncertainty that I wonder if this is really what, what I want to pursue. I wonder if this whole God thing is really worth it. And so Peter shares with us, as, as Tim has shared at the end of the book, that he's written to them briefly that, to encourage them, to let them know that... Uh, testify that this is the true grace of God and to stand fast in it. So week one, we looked at the idea that I'm not the center of the universe, God is. And the last week, we looked at the idea that suffering is the pain on the journey from what I think I want to what I really need. Just quick sidebar, this past week, some of us were riding bike and we were going up a hill and I'm trying to do my training here for the run ride walk. And Greg asked me how I was feeling. I said, well, I'm somewhere between what I want and what I need. <laughs> meaning that I was in the midst of suffering at that point. 
And what I learned is, you know, here's what they do to the new guys. They get them almost up to the top of the hill, then they get them to talk. They start asking questions. And then if you can answer, they know you're not okay. And if you don't answer, they know that you're not doing so well. <clears throat> but, but the question was asked last week, and, and I'm going to use this word in a generic sense, not in a scary word, but this, this question has haunted me this past week. And, and look at it. The question was asked, how willing am I to trust God to take me through a painful process from what I thought I wanted to what I really need? It's easy to read that question and say, yep, I'm willing. But if you think about that, and if you let that, kind of let that question marinate for days, and sometimes when things are going good, it's an easy yes. But what do you do when it's, it's a maybe? Or what do you do when it's, no, I'm not willing at all? If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, there are, there are Bibles in the pews. If you don't have one, you're welcome to use them and actually take that home and and that's our present to you. And if you need a new Bible, then you're welcome to take one of those home. <clears throat> As we look at this question, uh, I, I think what Peter does is, in the next three verses we're going to look at today, verses 13 to 15, I think he begins to lay a, a framework on, on how to answer this question. You see, because this is a tough question if you're a teenager, and you're, for the first time, learning to, to navigate your way through adulthood. Or if you're a parent during, dealing with a wayward child. Or if you're adults dealing with the loss of a job or loss of a loved one. Or loss of a sense of identity or addictions. If you're an aging adult dealing with the reality of transitions in your life. Perhaps this morning you could fill in the blank. As, you, as this question is asked, specifically what is going on in your life? that might make this question harder to answer than others. I'd like you to think about that. Create yourself a little mental image of what am I dealing with now that might cause me to hesitate when I answer this question. How willing am I to trust God to take me through a painful process from what I thought I wanted to what I really need? Regardless of the answer, we need to know how to trust in the midst of suffering. And the passage this one we'll look at begins to unfold that. Let's read it together, starting in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The big idea that I think Peter is uh, getting at in this passage, and I want to kind of put it up there as, as we talk about it, and that is this. In the midst of suffering, hope allows me to see the end and to not focus on the process. See, Peter has already mentioned in his letter that God's grace has given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, and fade. But we read through those verses, and I want to stop and kind of think about those three words. Think about the idea that this hope that we've called is an inheritance that can never perish. That means it never dies. It's never gone. It's never left us. When you think of somebody on this earth that, that leaves us in, in the pain that we have, it's because it's so final. And we hold on to memories, but they're no longer with us. But Peter says we have an inheritance that will always be with us. We, it never has to, it's never going to be gone. It never will perish. It never will spoil. Have you ever opened a refrigerator? 
and sniff the milk a little bit to make sure it's okay to drink it? You know, there's a date on it, but we don't go by that. You know, we do the sniff test. You know, if it smells okay and it doesn't, you know, curdle as we're pouring it, it's okay to drink. And if it starts to spoil, whether it's milk or meat or whatever it might be, we throw it away. But we have an inheritance that will never spoil. It's never going to go bad. It's not going to end, but it's never going to go bad. And then it's one that will never fade. See, memories fade. Whether they're good or bad, they kinda, they're still there, but they kind of fade. But our inheritance is never going to be like, boy, I think, it, I think it's there. If I can just remember a little bit, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I have this inheritance. No. It never fades. It never loses its luster. It's always brand new. It's always shiny. It's always very real in front of us. And it's that idea that Peter's just shared, and then he gets to the word, therefore. Of course, you know when you see a therefore, you have to wonder what it's there for. And so he says, therefore, because of the grace of God to give us that kind of inheritance and that kind of hope we have, because of that, he says, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. It kind of looks like he says, therefore, here's three things I want you to do. Prepare your minds, be self-controlled, and set your hope. But if you look at the, 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 the grammar of, of the Greek here, it has to, really there's just one verb. And the verb is to set your hope. That's what he's saying. Therefore, because you have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, and fade, here's what I want you to do. Set your hope. How do you do that? He gives two ways. Prepare your minds for actions and be self-controlled. We are called to set our hope fully on God's grace. The idea is that we see the end and not just the process. This idea, set your hope, is not that I'm just going to set it for a short period of time. I'm going to set something and then forget about it. But it's the idea of I'm going to look all the way to the end. And when I know the end, that's what I set my hope on. I don't set my hope on tomorrow. I don't set my hope on next month. I don't even set my hope on the other side of this crisis. I set my hope all the way to the end. And that's what Peter's getting at here. We set our hope to the very end completely without wavering. Easier said than done. So he gives us two ways to do that. One is prepare our minds for action. The word that King James talks uses an old metaphor, the idea of girding up your loins. What that was about is, is when you wear a robe in, in that day, you would gather it and you would tuck it on your belt and you'd be prepared for the work, or for the run, or for whatever you have to do. You wouldn't just set out and do it, and then like, oh man, this robe's in my way, I don't know what I'm going to do now. No, ahead of time. You prepare your minds for action, you gird up your loins, you, you tuck it, you bring it up, you tuck on your belt, and you're ready to go. It's sort of like if I can go back to a biking analogy. Um, <clears throat> by the way, for the run-wide walk, I registered, you saw it on Facebook, I, I'm, I'm going to do the 50. So I encourage you guys, you can do one of those three. By the way, you can ride. If you can't ride, you can run. If you can't run, you can walk. Most of us can do one of those three. And if not, you can come and cheer everybody else on. But, you know, <clears throat> when you set out to bike, and I'm learning this, you know, by riding with people that are better than me, I'm learning all kinds of great things. And one of them is that it's not just getting on your bike and just going down the road. It's like, oh, this is fun. You know, in the beginning, I was like, oh, look at the tree. Look at the cows. Look at those flowers. Aren't they cute? And, uh, but when you're, when, you're, when you're riding your bike, you have to know the road. You have to know what's at the end of it and, and when there's going to be a hill and when you're going to have to work hard and when you can recover and, and you have to know where the potholes are or where the other things are that are all over Lancaster County and, and 
you got to know, is the road going to be wet? Is the road going to be dry? Am I going around this corner? Is there going to be a truck that's going to come flying by that's going to be in the wrong part of the lane? What's the shoulder like? You know, is there gravel? I mean, I'm just like, this is a lot of work. You know, you have to know all these things. You have to kind of know them in advance. It helps to know the course before you get out and ride on it. And so that's the kind of the, what I've been trying to do with biking. Um, but, but here, Peter is talking about the similar thing when he says, prepare your minds for action. Get ready for action and take care of the things that are going to impede you. And the idea of preparing your mind is more than just the brain. It has to do with thoroughly reasoning through something. It's not just saying, okay, you know what? Oh, man, I just ran into this obstacle, so now I think I'll do this. It's knowing, planning all that out in advance. If we are to set our hope fully on the grace of God, then we have to set it on the end, not the process. And we have to discipline our mind to think through and to reason through all the different scenarios and say, okay, when this happens, here's how I'll respond. And knowing that difficult times will happen, right? None of us are spared that. Knowing that we will lose loved ones, knowing that we will lose jobs, some of us, knowing that we will have a crisis of family, knowing that whatever it might be, these things are going to happen. So I'm going to prepare my mind for when they do. When I go around the bend and I know that this is going to be in the road, I know ahead of time what I'm going to do. When I'm going navigating through life and I know that there's going to be difficult times with children, how am I going to respond? When I know someday that I'm going to lose a loved one, how am I going to respond? Preparing my mind for action. And then the second one is to be self-controlled. The idea of, of <clears throat> to be sober. The idea of not allowing any toxins in my mind that could pollute my way of thinking. No alterations to my thought process. Sort of a teetotaler when it comes to spiritual things. That I'm not just going to prepare for it, but I'm going to be self-controlled. Not self-controlled that, oh, I want to punch that person, but I don't. Not that kind of self-control. Self-control of my mind that I'm not going to allow anything in there that's going to alter this way of thinking that I need. You see, we're supposed to, be, we're supposed to set our hope fully on the grace of God, but to do that... Two prerequisites are preparing our minds and being self-controlled. Paul echoes similar thoughts when he says that we're to set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And then 2 Corinthians where he says, we can take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Have you ever thought about that verse that I just said? Taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. And once we set our hope, then we get to verses 14 and 15. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you was holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. The result of setting our hope fully is that we no longer have to live as we did before we have hope. Instead, we can live in holiness. This verse here in 15, Be holy because I am holy, is not a, it's not a command. It's a promise. It literally says, because I am holy, you also can be holy. It's not something we have to, it's something we have to work hard at. Don't get me wrong with that. But it's not something that we have to strive to do. It's something we have to learn to live in. Unpack this thought. See, for many of us, we struggle thinking and doing the right thing when we're going through suffering and trials. We're going through difficult times, and we're not responding in the way we want. And that disappoints us. And we think it disappoints God. 
and the battle becomes with our actions. Well, I want to do this, but I should be doing this. How can I do this? And sometimes it's easy to say, you know what? I can't do it. I, I, I have to give up. But if you have prepared your mind, and if you have determined already the end, then it's not so much about struggling to change your actions. It's about struggling to change your mindset. You see, one of the times I've been riding up Carnegie Hill and trying to get up multiple times, and I was going by myself, and I, had, I got up the first time, and I'm like, yes. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to try another. I'll, I'll at least go halfway, is what I said to myself. And uh, guess how far I went? Halfway. I got halfway, got past the first, you know, a hill part, and it levels off. I was tired. I saw a lady up there on the edge of it with a dog, and I thought, what if that dog comes out, you know? And next thing you know, I turned around, and the whole way down the hill, I thought, man, I am so disappointed in myself. And the reason why I didn't make it the second time is because I had determined I would only go halfway. And see, sometimes in life, it's the same way. We determine, I'm just going to make it through this. I'm just going to make it through to something better. And so we focus all on our actions. And yet what Peter is saying here is focus on your mind. That's where the battle is. And so the next time I went up, I said, you know what? I'm going to go up at least twice. There's just no question about it. And you can encourage, be encouraged by me. I, I made it up three times. And, uh, but I thought one and a half is no longer an option. I'm not going to make my decision halfway. I'm going to go all the way. And that's the same imagery here in this passage is that we are, we are to set our hope fully on the grace of God, on that inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So I'm not going to, to create actions that get me through to this point. It's more than that. It's a mindset. And that's where the battle is. And that's why you have verses 13 and 14 before you have verse 15, because some of us, we go out there and we try so hard to be holy. God, if I could just be holy, I just want to be holy. I want to do better. I want to think better. I want to, I want to, and we get discouraged and we get weighed down. And the worst case scenario is we get to the point where we say, I'm thrown in the towel. I'm giving up. Tim talked about that last week, some friends that have shared that with him. We all, we all may know of people that have either said that or close to saying that because we're focused on the actions. But what Peter is getting at here is the holiness is there. You, you can live in holiness because he's holy. You don't have to live like you did before you had hope. It's, it's all about the hope. It's setting, when you set your hope fully on the end, and you do that by preparing your minds, by being self-controlled, then you're able to live in the holiness. So here's what I want to share with you. Kind of a so what? Enduring suffering requires me to think correctly so I can live correctly. Now, I've got to tell you that there's part of me that's struggling right now. To come. I don't want to make light of people that are going through intense suffering. Many of us have gone through seasons where we thought, I don't know if I can get through this. And this sounds so trite. Well, you know what? Get your thoughts together and uh, you'll be okay. And that's not really what I'm getting at. But I, but I believe the more I, I study this passage, the more I come back to it is a battle of a mind. Because here's what happens. Sometimes it's easier for us to say, you know what, it's over. This is bigger than what I anticipated, and this is taking longer than I anticipated, and this crisis is so difficult, it's over. And we forget, our mind forgets that we have an inheritance that can never perish. Or we say, it's too late. 
I was doing well, and I thought I had my course mapped out, but I didn't realize when I ran the bend this would happen, and boy, I just blew it. Too late. No, because we have an inheritance, inheritance that will never not only perish, but will never spoil. It's never too late. There's no expiration date. No matter what we've gone through, it's redeemable. Everything that happens, every crisis in our life, regardless of how we respond, is redeemable by God. And so we don't have to say, it's over. I quit. I throw in a towel. As much as our, our, our mind wants us to do that. And we never have to say, it's too late, as much as our mind wants to do that. And we never have to say this. It's just not the same. I mean, I used to really love God, and I loved reading His Word, and I loved praying. Um, I loved to go to church, and I loved to do all this stuff, but it's just not the same. It's just, it's not cutting it for me. It, it lacks its first love. It lacks its luster. And know at those times, whether you are feeling like it's over, or it's too late, or it's not the same. Know at that point, it's not a, a battle for your actions. It's a battle for your mind. And so, enduring suffering requires me to think correctly so I can live correctly. You see, hope allows me to see the end and not just focus on the problems. I'm sorry, not focus on the process. So where are you at? For the believers of this day, their world had kind of turned upside down. Everything was going great. Being a Christian, followers of the way was kind of a cool thing. And everything was going wonderful. And all of a sudden, there's this persecution. And they're scattered all over the area. Some of them are separated from their family. Some of them lost their jobs. Some of them, you know, all of a sudden don't have the finances they need to take care of themselves. All kinds of problems going on. <clears throat> and they're wondering if this hope that we had is truly worth it. And so Peter sends them this letter to say, stand firm, stand fast. This is the real stuff, and hang in there. And he talks about that in the first 12 verses of what we are called to and who we are. And then he gets to this passage, and he says, now here's what I need you to do. Regardless of where you're at in life, I need you to set your hope fully. The idea here is to remember the ending. Go all the way to the end. And the grace of God that will sustain you to the end and to that inheritance that you will have. Set your hope fully on that. You do that by preparing your minds in advance for action. By being self-controlled, not letting anything come in there, not letting any, anyone or anything to discourage you. But surround yourself with people that can encourage you. You know the reason why? I mean, I, 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 did, three, I did three hill climbs because I was physically able, but my mind was telling me I couldn't. So Tim rode along with me. He was my coach, and he kept saying, you can do more than you think you can. You can do more than you think you can. And when I'm ready to just say, okay, one more pedal stroke, and I'm unclipping, I'm off, Tim would say, you can do more than you think you can. And sometimes to have that self-control, we need people to walk that journey with us, to say, you can do more than you think you can. I know you're going through a crisis. I know you're going through a difficult time. I know you're somewhere between what you want and what you need. And I know right now you feel like you wish the universe was about you, but it's not. It's about God. But you don't have to give up. You can do this. And when we have that kind of mindset and we fight the battle in our mind, 
then we're able on the, on the other side of this crisis to continue to live in God's holiness. We know what it was like for the early church, but what's it like for you? Because some of us, the crisis is so big that it's laid out there before everybody, and everybody knows it and sees it. But for some of us, the crisis is in our minds. It's in our head. It's in our inner circle of our family and close friends, and not everybody sees that. And so I don't know where you are today, but I wonder if there's somebody here today or somebody listening later that would be thinking to themselves, I feel like it's over. I feel like it, I'm done. It's my inheritance has perished. It's gone. Or I wonder if somebody's saying, it's too late. I just really blew it. And there's no way God can redeem this. It's too late. Or I wonder if there's somebody here this morning or listening that, could, that would say, you know what, it's just not the same. It's just not doing it for me anymore. Know that in those moments, as Peter describes here, that it's a battle for your mind. And if we want to live correctly, we have to learn to think correctly. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for giving us the right amount of blessings and trials to, to cause us to be dependent on you. Thank you, God, for, the, for your grace in our lives. Thank you for calling us to a, a new hope, a different kind of hope, to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, and fade. And God, it's very difficult for us through, at different times in our life to set our hope fully on you. And I pray that you would, you would teach us, teach us, Father, how to think correctly, how to not buy into the lies of the evil one in our minds. Help us to take captive these thoughts and make them obedient to you. Help us, God, to continue to, to, at times of storms in our life, to hold on to you, to have you be our anchor, God, have you be our hope. So that we can weather these storms and continue to living in the holiness that you offer us because of your son, Jesus Christ.